Vincent Sabonis two-man game inside. Domas, dominant, dynamite inside on that one. Not afraid, and he got some dog in. And the steal! They can tie it with a three! Murray, yes! A Murray miracle in the desert! Welcome back to another episode of the King's Pulse Podcast presented by the King's Herald. My name is Brendan Nunez, and today we got more draft content on the way, which is fitting with it being just a couple days from the 2023 NBA draft. And who else but Bryant West to have joined me on the show today, talk through some of these prospects. What's going on, Bryant? How you doing? Brendan, in 48 hours from the moment you and I are talking about this, we will know who, if any, the Sacramento Kings have drafted. So we're getting there. Wow. We are getting here. Um, Today, the plan, after we went through previously five sort of upside swings, um, these are overgeneralizations and labels, but we're going with it just to kind of uh, make the titles a little bit easier. But today we went with four safer options that Sacramento can look at comparatively to those upside swings. Um, and I will say, I don't know that I think one of these guys necessarily fits the safe label. Um, at least not as well as some of the others. Yeah. And I think that we should just start with... I was going to say everybody's favorite, but I don't know if that's accurate. Um, everybody's favorite twin, Chris Murray. <laughs> I, the four guy, I would say the four guys we're going to go through, I, I should probably lay that out. Uh, Chris Murray from Iowa, Trace Jackson Davis from Indiana, Olivier Maxence Prosper from Marquette, and Colby Jones from Xavier. Yeah. Um, but if it's all right with you, I say we start with Chris. Yeah. I will say I don't even think he's the favorite twin in this draft. Like the Thompson twins are in here. That's fair enough. Yeah, and but, apparently, I was listening to something today. Did you know Taylor Hendricks is a twin? Oh, I didn't know that. Super weird. I guess his twin yes. like redshirted this year at UCF. Somebody, I think it was oh. Raphael Barlow who does. Uh, I think his pod is called Locked On NBA Big Board. Yes. It's under the Locked On Network. Um, was talking about how he thinks that was actually part of why Taylor Hendricks went to UCF is that he was, you know, it was a package deal him and his brother and other places maybe were pitching to Taylor a little bit more than his brother as well so anyways uh three twins in two straight yeah. drafts yeah that's that's pretty remarkable wonder what the odds of that are um gotta be yeah, pretty low gotta be really low but I think you're right let's start with uh the, the guy who is uh honestly I think he's become the most contentious um player because you know everybody else in this draft class I, I think the sacramento fan base has so willingly accepted that hey it, it's harder to um make generalizations and predictions on on guys in the 24th range uh that's not the case for chris murray <laughs> the takes are takes are strong in both directions so i think uh i think he's a good one to start with Takes definitely are strong. Um, I will say before we get into Chris um, that I am dog sitting for family, and there's a very good chance that the puppy, I guess you would say, about a year old, so st- I still think qualifies. Yeah. Definitely has puppy energy. Uh, will make a video appearance for anybody on the YouTube side. This is the older elderly dog that's currently in oh, camera. Okay. 
Um, say, that's, other not puppy a, that's not a is, puppy. No, the other puppy is there definitely getting into who knows what over here. Um, but video appearances probably, but audio appearances are guaranteed. So if you hear squeaking, that's what's going on. But anyways, Chris Murray, the second of the Murray twins to be drafted, uh, measured in at the combine with at six, seven and three quarters without shoes. So say about six, nine with just under a seven foot wingspan, six, 11 and three quarters there as well. He's 22 years old. Um, and in his junior year at Iowa, put up some damn good numbers, uh, 20.2 points, 7.9 rebounds, two assists, a steal and 1.2 blocks on 47 percent from the field 33 and a half percent from three on 6.8 a game and 72.9 percent from the free throw line on 4.1 per game um i i okay so i'm going to start this with a question to you i guess i don't how do you how do you feel about a lot of people starting talking about chris based on how is he different than keegan i understand why that's a starting point um but do you think that's a good way to go about it? Or should we just treat Chris completely separately? Cause obviously they're very different, but do you think that comparing him to Keegan is, is valuable for this conversation? Uh, I, I think it's a double-edged sword because on one hand, like physically they, they, they have some differences, but you know, we're still talking about six, nine dudes who have a, a variety of, of versatility in their game. Uh, but at the same time, um, I think Jill made this point to me yesterday was that however this goes for Chris Murray, it's not fair to keep comparing him to his brother in so much that Chris isn't going to come in and break the rookie record for three pointers, or at least I, I really, really doubt that. Um, and especially if he ends up in Sacramento, like the, the, the expectations won't be fair to him. And and that's one of those reasons why I'm sure his his dad talked about this publicly that um, kind of hopes he goes somewhere else and they meet later in their careers. Um, it, statistically, I do think that Keegan conditioned us to expect insane efficiencies and insane stat lines. Um, his numbers at Iowa last year were just bonkers. Um, but what Chris did this year was it was really impressive for a, a controlled, versatile player, like 20 points, eight rebounds, uh, point, uh, 2.2 stocks per game, um, leading shot taker, leading three-point maker, and just 1.5 turnovers a game. Like, I think this Iowa team was less talented than last year. Um, and honestly, just watching their games, I think that Chris Murray faced as tough a defense, if not tougher, than his brother did. So... Um, it's, it's not fair if you just look at the stat lines. Um, but at the same time, like, uh, at, at six, nine, he's as versatile or more so than anybody else we're likely to talk about in this Kings range. Um, so that itself doesn't mean that we, that he should be the 24th pick, but I think that puts him near the top of the conversation. No, it definitely does. I mean, I think that there's, this is its own separate conversation but i think that sacramento does very much need size and that's going to come out come up throughout the course of today when we get to guys like kobe jones compared to chris murray like i I really do think sacramento needs some like three four size rather than two three even if there's a hole at a potential three spot you know you want to go a little bit bigger i I think it 
it, it's funny to me how you know Denver wins everything, and all of a sudden, all the conversation is okay. How can anybody be Denver? Um, how can you build <laughs> yeah. to look like the Nuggets? And that that's kind of funny to me. But there is something there, I think, specifically to Sacramento as a team that plays a very similar offense, you know, with Jokic and uh, Sabonis similarities. But I think the biggest thing that shocked me about Denver was just the size that they had where, you know, KCP at year two, Aaron Gordon and, and uh, Michael Porter Jr. being your three and four is a super big lineup. And I think that Sacramento could really benefit from finding similarly complementary role players who have good size. And Chris Murray absolutely fits into that. Um, I want to echo what you said about, I think he faced harder defenses or at least defenses that were able to key in on him specifically more mm-hmm. so than what Keegan did. And a lot of that has to do with, you know, Keegan had Chris next to him, another guy that was an NBA prospect. If Chris could have gone into the draft last year and probably would have gotten picked in the NBA draft. You know, we're talking. Yeah, definitely. Would have been. Around, um, but Chris's three point numbers, you look at last year's 38.7%. And I still think that Chris is a damn good three point shooter. I do not yeah. think that he's Keegan level. Um, but Keegan level is an unrealistic expectation, honestly, for anybody. Um, that's yeah. ridiculous. That 33.5% is not representative, though. If you look at that 38.7 on 3.2 attempts last year, next to Keegan, I think is a little bit of a better representation. He shot 40.7% on unguarded catch-and-shoot threes this year, and admittedly only 33.5% on all his catch-and-shoot attempts. But I think the biggest thing with the tougher surrounding cast was less of the on-ball difference in defense between what Chris and Keegan saw, but more so off-ball. I think the same way like you kind of saw Golden State really take away Keegan's three-point shooting off-ball, it felt like opposing teams were really taking away that easy looks, off-ball, catch-and-shoot three-point attempt. So when he got free, he knocked him down. I think that's something that, I mean, he'll get the opportunity to do at the NBA is hit open threes if, if teams are helping off of him. And I think he'd punish guys for doing that. But what caliber of three-point shooter do you feel like Chris is? Uh, I, I completely agree with you there. I think if you're asking Chris to come in and be, you know, fourth, fifth option uh, in a given lineup, I, I would expect that his three-point number is going to uh, settle in that higher range closer to what he was uh, in his freshman year. Um, or no, sorry, his sophomore year when he was uh, during Keegan's starring year when he shot 38.7% from three. Um, I mean, it's, it's no surprise players shoot better when they're not guarded, but that's what it will look like in the NBA because he's just not going to be given the same shooting responsibility that he did at Iowa last year. Um, I do think that that's a big a key difference in their games was how many more threes and how much more reliant Chris was on that jump shot than Keegan was a year ago. Um, I, I, a year ago, one conversation that we kept having about Keegan was, you know, how much of his post offense is going to translate up to the NBA. And he was super efficient at that. Chris was way less reliant on banging up in the post. Um, and I don't think that means all that much because I don't think teams will ask him to do that. But I will say that he finished at a 66.1% clip at the basket in non post up plays. So this is a guy who can drive. I think his handle needs to improve, much like uh, Keegan's needs to continue. And um, the the one comparison that I will absolutely keep making with these with both twins is that the pull up jumper 
is almost certainly going to be their on-ball creation. And it's something that they both need to get better at. Um, but when you're looking at Chris, as long as you and I agree that his three-point three shot is going to plateau somewhere in the middle between his sophomore role-playing year and his junior you're-the-offense uh, season, I think he's going to be a good three-point shoot, three shooter who also has uh, driving ability and a, a decent finishing package at the rim as long as you're ready for, hey, this guy's pretty left-hand dominant. So, Very left-hand dominant. Um, the most obvious difference, <clears throat> excuse me, between them uh, just, you know, at a glance is lefty-shooty versus righty. Um, but both cash from three, I think. I think there is a notable difference in the handle. Um, and that's saying something when like Keegan had a solid handle for the college level and was able to grade, I, I think handle and footwork are the two that kind of stand out to me. And I don't think Chris was quite there. Um, obviously different circumstances again with the surrounding cast at Iowa and what that meant for how defenses were sort of able to approach him. But that 66.1% at the rim that you mentioned, I think is intriguing. He's somebody that to me within the flow of the offense, if you're talking specifically plugged into Sacramento is still going to recognize moments when guys are overplaying over, uh, yeah, overplaying him to take away that three point threat and still be able to cut back door finish at the rim. Um, there was a decent amount of dunks and throwing it down with people in the vicinity. Um, he seems to show a little bit more, reaction than than Keegan for sure I think that Kenyon shared when he joined Deuce and Mo on the podcast which you mentioned something earlier about uh Kenyon talking about how maybe it would be best for them to be on separate teams it was also from the Deuce and Mo podcast can't recommend listening to that one enough Um, but Kenyon totally was I in plugging Deuce and Mo I forgot exactly where I was going with that oh you were there you were going with um well, dang it! Now I've lost it too. Um, <laughs> but I oh, think, oh, the difference in their personality. The Kings had yes, met with him at the combine. That's right. That uh, Kenyon shared that Wes said that you know in his interview and in Chris's interview with Sacramento that he might have said more than Keegan said all year long. And I, I think there's definitely a difference in their in their sort of personalities here. And sometimes that shows a little bit on the court. But I think he's a guy that will recognize his moments to cut and finish within the flow of the offense. Mm-hmm. Um, I think attacking closeouts is something that Keegan is for sure better at right now in an area where Chris can develop a lot. You know, I, I think that the handle, there's a lot of work that that needs to be done there, but when he's actually at the rim and he's a, he's a play finisher, he's not creating yeah. any sort of plays. And I think that's, that's totally fine when you're talking about within the flow of Sacramento's offense, but I don't think he's somebody you want taking more than, you know, two or three dribbles within your offense. And I don't really know that he projects as somebody that you think maybe eventually he can be doing that. Yeah. I I definitely think that you should go into this expectation of getting a a good role player who can add a lot of value uh, off the bench and maybe he develops more to that, but I, I, I'm not going to expect that Chris Murray is ever going to be a massive on ball contributor. No, outside of the, the cutting spot up three point shooting. um, What else in the offense stands out to you? If, if anything, like there's the two assists to 1.5 turnovers, there were some outlet passes that caught my eyes a little bit. 
Um, it's but it's half court, it's, not really. It's the same kind of thing that it was for Keegan last year. Honestly, I remember having multiple conversations about this. Like this guy is smart. I, he makes good passes. Why the heck doesn't he have more assists than this? Um, and and uh, I I I expect that in a smaller role, uh, Chris is going to keep the ball moving. Um, maybe it was just because uh, Iowa didn't really have any other creators. Uh, that, that's what I just keep coming back to. Yeah, watching Iowa was pretty clunky this year compared to yeah. to last. Um, they still made the NCAA tournament in the toughest league in um, college basketball. So, and and Chris was the the reason for that. So, I mean, yeah, when you're when you're talking about twenty and eight, like on the team that he was on, like I, that that's super impressive. No matter what two ways you look at it. Um, yeah. If if we move on to the defense. I think that there's three and fours there. Um, he's a guy that stands out to me as like a good, but not great defender. Somebody yeah. that definitely holds his own there. You don't feel like he's a liability, but also not somebody that you're thinking, okay, um, you know, let's say Shaden Sharp's really hot right now. Is this somebody we can throw on him? You know, I'm trying to think of not like a typical Paul George or star or something. Cause that's yeah. not what Chris Murray's doing, but even he he's not somebody that I think you're throwing on somebody to try and slow them down, but more of just he plays his role within yeah. the flow of the defense. I, I don't expect him to come in and be a game changer defensively, um, but he can absolutely be a good defensive player as part of a hopefully improved defensive team. Um, like he, his willingness is never a question. And I want to reiterate this. It, it It's very impressive to me when, uh, players, especially older players who have this huge offensive responsibility like Chris had come out there and compete on defense constantly. Um, his length, his, his patience on defense, his strength. He, he was solid against a good range of players last year. Um, Synergy says he held his opponents to a combined 33.8% shooting. Um, and, and two point two stocks per game is is very solid numbers for a guy carrying near 30% off, offensive usage rate. Um so, you know, uh much much like Keegan or or pretty much most 69 rookies, uh I don't think you want to swap him onto smaller quicker guys. Shaden Sharp would scare me just because I think Shaden Sharp could beat him uh athletically, but you know, he he uh, I I expect his composure and his willingness on the defensive end will help his future team give him give them a bunch of op- options uh, in his role playing spot next year. And I think Sacramento could make sense for that. You know, they're a team that very much needs some depth at the three four spot. Yeah. Even if Sasha comes over, say you keep HB, like think about Terrence Davis minutes going to somebody that's six, nine and borderline seven foot wingspan can do a little bit of everything. Like I think having this positional versatility is absolutely something that Sacramento could benefit from. Um, and Brett Huff's consensus big board has him at 23, <laughs> which is right around Sacramento's range. You know, he, he's somebody that we've joked about, um, 
and I, I've definitely said I roll my eyes pretty hard at when he gets picked in every single mock for Sacramento and then admittedly just picked him in a mock that I participated in. <laughs> but I think that's just saying, like, if he's there, he makes a lot of sense. Yeah. And there seems to be a decent amount of, um, you know, I think the thought seems to be, okay, well, there's no way he's there. But when you actually sit down and try to do the exercise, it wouldn't be that shocking if he was there at 24, no? Uh, I'm two minds of this one logically. Yes. It would not shock me if he's there at 24. This is a talented draft class. There a lot of players could go higher or lower than we expect. It's absolutely the truth. Um, I very, very convinced that he will be going to another California team earlier than the Kings. And we're going to have to see the Murray twins face off four times a year. So I'm going to be irrational about that because it's going to happen. It'd be pretty funny. Um, it would be hilarious. We've been saying this for at least a month, and I'm with you. It makes a whole lot of sense. Yeah. The um, Golden State Warriors do not want to go out there and draft another Jonathan Kuminga. They want to get somebody who will play the role off the bench and not complain about it. What? what who? Who does that fit more than Chris Murray? Come on. Right. I think the same um, comps are always broken. Um, but in trying to think of one for Chris, I almost thought of like a Otto Porter jr. Sort yeah. of role. That's a good uh, one. What was um, Brett shared one for with me that no ceilings did. What was it? It was Thad young. I think maybe not that defensive minded. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. And more wing than forward, but I see, yeah. I, I see that. Yeah. Um, yeah, I mean, just a guy that really does a little bit of everything, and, and there's not much encouragement to think that there's more beyond that. I don't think that we're talking about um, – I mean, maybe this is a guy that can end up being a fifth starter on a good team, um, but I, I think that you're talking about more of a a role player that goes in there and just does his job, and Sacramento can absolutely use more of those guys. I think they're at a stage where those type of guys are really valuable to them. Um, yeah. I, I very much disagree with anybody who looks at Chris Murray and says, we don't need more of what he has. Right. It, it, that is just crazy to me. Every team in the NBA should want a Chris Murray on their bench. That doesn't mean that you have to say, think that he is the best player or the best pick 24, but he absolutely should be in the conversation. I've made this point before. If his last name wasn't Murray, if he was who he is, but wasn't related to Keegan Murray, I'd still absolutely think that he'd be a guy we should talk about in the Kings range. Absolutely agreed. Take your pick of who we talk about next. Um, let's talk about Colby Jones from Xavier. Let's do Colby Jones. I've been watching a lot of Colby Jones. Um, measured in at six four and a half without shoes at the combine. So say about six six with six eight wingspan. Um, twenty years old. Twenty one years old. Excuse me. And in his junior year at Xavier. 36 games, uh, 15 points, 5.7 rebounds, 4.4 assists, along with 1.3 steals, 0.6 blocks. Um, there's 2.3 turnovers in there as well on an impressive 50.9% from the field, 37.8% from three on 3.3 attempts per game, and uh, 65.3% <laughs> from the free throw line on 3.4 a game. Um, this is another guy that does a little bit of everything. We're yeah. just talking about positionally um 
a different guy when it comes to build and size. And I think that some of the more, I mean, he, he's obviously very different than Chris, but there's more of like a playmaking of putting the ball on the floor and a connective piece rather than um, just a play finisher, but somebody that can keep the play going rather than, you know, take two dribbles, take two dribbles, attempt to finish, realize it's not there. And then everything kind of has to reset. But I think Colby yeah. Jones can keep the flow going more so. Um, and let's start with some of that three-point shooting because I think it's a interesting topic when it comes to Colby Jones because his first two years at Xavier, he actually was a pretty poor three-point shooter. Um, not poor, but not what he was now, right? Yeah. 33.3% on 1.8 attempts freshman year. Sophomore year, 29.2% on 2.1 a game. And there are those free throw numbers that I mentioned. You know, This year, 65.3%. Year prior, 68%. Freshman year, sixty-five or seventy-five point seven percent. So there's some, uh, I guess you could say, red flags there. But I think the three-point percentage that he knocked down this year—you look at forty-three percent on catch-and-shoot threes. Um, the off-the-bounce numbers are where it's twenty-six percent. But yeah, that's I, that. I, there, there's something there to me where it's like, you know, the free throw numbers concerning the previous three point percentage is concerning, but like he was, he was cash this year. Like, yeah, I think he, that 119 attempts this year is a good volume, but you do have to consider it being this year. Um, the 43% on catch and shoot threes is the number that makes me more confident because that's his role. Um, that's that's what any team will be asking him to do more, be that connective piece, be that guy who's in the corner ready to make the right play. Um, the free throw number does scare me because, um, you know, if both his three-point number and his free throw percentage increased in the same year, that would be one thing. Um, two years ago, and I, I think I told you this offline, two years ago, Keegan Murray shot 29% for three, and we know how that went. Sometimes guys show you who they are in terms of shooting in one year. That's all you get, and you trust it. Um, conversely, if you look at Davion Mitchell's last year in Baylor, like he shot 44.7% for three, and everybody tried convincing themselves that he was a good shooter, but we just ignored his 64.1% from the free throw line. Um, so, you know, the fact that we're talking about Jones, who 67.9% from the line across his three years, Xavier, it's not impossible that we're overhyping his shooting after one good year. Um, but to me, that catch and shoot three number is very promising. His, his stroke doesn't look hitchy. It, it looks, it looks smooth when he has a moment. Um, the off the bounce stuff is where it gets concerning to me because I do worry about that on ball scoring upside, both, as a shooter and kind of getting to the basket because um, on a whole, I, I, I think he'll make any team better. Um, the Musketeers, they had a really balanced offense. They had four players who averaged 14 points or more and Jones initiated the offense as much as anybody. It was beautiful offense. It yeah. was like NBA offense. Yeah. It was a really, really balanced offense. Um, he read the floor well. He can play on and off the ball, no issue. I think that's a big strength of his game. There's just there's there's no fluff. You can expect he's quickly going to make the right play on offense. They were an excellent half court offense, and his ability to operate as both a playmaker and a two level level scorer was a big part of that. Um, but I, I 
I keep going back to that Xavier Marquette matchup in the uh, conference finals where the entirety of that Musketeers team went cold and Jones just couldn't create any offense of his own. Um, he was being guarded by Olivier Moxit next since Prosper. Um, so that, that explains something, but I guess it says something when an NBA level defender, especially a bigger wing can, can stick on you and hold you to three of 11 shooting. I, I just don't know what he's going to do to create his own shot. Um, he's got a nasty runner when he gets into the paint and I don't want to undersell his touch when he gets to the basket. Like he shot 66% at the rim in the half court, but 19 of 70 on dribble jumpers this year, 27.1%. If you're looking for a self-creator to come off the bench and get you buckets, look elsewhere. Yeah. I don't think he's a self-creator. I I think that's in my mind, the reality of just what we're talking about here is, is a connective piece, you know, a guy that um, maybe here and there, is is running a pick and roll but that's a rarity i i think that this is like i i apparently have a thing for dante divincenzo because i can't let go of it <laughs> um it's like sort of a running joke with some of the other media people that are not fans of dante but i loved dante and i, I cannot love him to be on this team last year i can't shake the dante divincenzo idea here you know like i think that KCP is a popular player for people to mention right now, again, going back to the Denver thing. And I think that KCP and and Dante fall in the same sort of category. There's obviously a wide range of variants here. And the playmaking is a big thing for Colby Jones. That is more Dante than KCP. Um, But like there's, there's three level scoring here and you have to figure out how you feel about the three point shot. Um, I'm kind of functioning and thinking that I think the catch and shoot three point shot is there and playing off ball is totally fine. I don't care for him creating it all. And I just think that's just not part of the player that you're talking about is any sort of self-creation. Yeah. And, and everything everything you just described is a very, very valuable bench piece. Uh, a player that the Kings absolutely could use more of. Um, swap him in for Terrence Davis minutes, and I think you have a more versatile offensive lineup. I absolutely agree. And I, I think that there were moments last year where it's like, oh, well, you know, maybe... Dante would have been pretty helpful here. And I, I think that's kind of similar to what we're talking about with Kobe Jones is filling in those Terrence Davis minutes. Um, he's kind of a three level scorer. There is that catch and shoot three point. If you talk about his mid range being the, the runner floater, he's damn good at that floater. Yeah. The the runner is what uh synergy listed as and that's 54.5%. Um, his at the rim. He's one of those, he he's not typically athletic and, you know, uh, at the risk of sounding a sort of cliche, but I'm going to call the, the non-athletic white guy crafty around the rim. And I, I think that's, that's pretty fitting. It's, you know, finishes off of the same foot with the same hand or, or just weird angles that he goes about it. These almost like fakes at the rim and then pivoting the opposite direction. Um, but 62.2% at the rim is the synergy number that I saw here. And, like I, I really do think that within the flow of the offense, he's a fine passer. Um, he, he's a very impressive pack, passer, actually. I think again, not somebody I that agree. is initiating the offense, um, but somebody that like rather than just making that one more to the right of him, he's going to skip a step and throw it cross court, and he's willing to be creative with those passes and 
sort of willing to make mistakes, which is something we've talked about um, a handful of times with different prospects. And I think that's encouraging when it comes to some sort of passer like Kobe is. Um, he's also a solid rebounder for his size. Yeah. The four point or the five point seven rebounds that we're talking about is pretty damn good for somebody that his size. Um, defensively, I think one to three is a solid range and it's probably more of i've adapted this like 2.5 meaning some threes um but maybe not the bigger ones that are more of three fours more of the the two threes but i think there's a value in having that perimeter defense like i I think he's somebody that just does a little bit of everything rebounding passing finishing um, keeping the ball moving, three-point shooting, defending on the perimeter. And I know that rim protection is important, but if you get better at your perimeter containment, then that's a way to ease the amount of stress you're putting on your rim protection or or lack thereof. Um, what it comes down to for me with Kobe, and especially compared to some of these other guys, is the size. We're talking about a two, three, and and one of the things I mentioned I like with Chris is his size, and I think that somebody that does, even if maybe I think Colby does more in his game, I think the size difference that he has um, compared to Chris is a downside, just specifically from Sacramento's perspective. Yeah, I I, I won't say I disagree with that. I will say that. Six six guys who have his combination of shoot pass defend um, are are pretty rare. Like he's a better passer than Chris, no question. Um, but at the end of the day, I will have Chris Murray higher than him. I will have uh, some other guys we talk about higher than him because of. Uh, I agree with you. If if I had to, you know, talent over fit. Always, always, always. If Monty McNair looks at uh, these players that we're talking about and says, Colby Jones is the most talented guy, then I'd get it. Uh, But at the end of the day, I agree with you. I think that this team needs more size. And that's not to take away from Colby because 5.7 rebounds a game is impressive. Uh, And I think he played up against taller guys well. He's willing to stand up to them. He muscle, they won't muscle through him. He's a quick defender. Um, 1.4 steals across his whole Xavier career. Like his head's always up. He's looking at those passing lanes. He wants to jump them. That at, at six six two hundred pounds, that's a valuable defensive player on any team. Um, I agree with you. I don't know that I want him guarding the taller three fours in the world. I don't know that I really want him guarding the De'Aaron Fox hyper athletic initiators. Um. But he's going to help any team improve their perimeter defense, Sacramento very much included. I think that he would play pretty quickly in Sacramento and and have a decent role. I think that he's extremely smart on both ends of the floor. And while spacing was obviously a big point of emphasis last offseason, I think that smart NBA players that make the right decision more often than not was also a big aspect of their offense that was constantly flowing. And I think that Kobe would absolutely play into that. Um, but with me having Kobe and, and Chris in similar tiers, I, I do favor Chris um, between the two. Yeah, I agree. I, I have Chris decently higher than Kobe. 
understandable. And and I'm kind of torn on Colby, man. Like there there's aspect there's times I love him and think, okay, he can do a little bit of everything. Um, and then there's other times where the lack of athleticism um, does concern me a little bit. Like, how is he going to keep up? And is is that finishing and mid-range game? I think the floater will be there, but is that finishing around the rim? Is he still going to be able to find his creative ways to do that at the NBA level? I think it's a, yeah. it's a decent question for me. Um, and again, I, I'm just believing in the three point shooting, but if I'm actually a GM that's forced to make this decision, there's a complicated process that like goes into how much you buy into that three point shot. Um, yeah. so yeah, definitely some questions, but overall, I think Colby is a solid NBA player and I think Sacramento acts absolutely could use high IQ guys on both ends of the floor, decent size. Um, and I think Kobe like. At 38, home run. Oh, hell yeah. Um, 24. I, you know, there's there's other guys I'd per, I think I'd prefer at yeah. 24. At the end of the day, I'd rather swing for the fences on some other guys, but I think he'll be a better NBA player than some of the gambles that you and I are both going to have ranked above him. I think the same. Um, NFL Sunday Ticket is now on YouTube and YouTube TV which means that it just got easier to be an NFL fan, even if you live far away. Like, maybe you like the Bears, but you're hibernating in Panthers territory. But with NFL Sunday Ticket, your out-of-market team is never more than a short distance away, specifically the distance from you to your remote control. NFL Sunday Ticket, now on YouTube and YouTube TV. Go to youtube.com slash presale to get $50 off. Terms and embargoes apply. Offer ends 919. No refund. Subscription auto renews. 20th Century Studios presents Vacation Friends 2. Now streaming only on Hulu. Look at us all together again. We just wanted to give you guys a real honeymoon. Shots! 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 Why? Now streaming. Dad! He was just released from jail. Where can I get a drink around here? Back on vacation. This place is nice. It's drug lord nice. I'm sorry, drug lord nice? With more baggage. Ever since he showed up, he turned this relaxing vacation into total chaos. Who does that? Vacation Friends 2. Rated R. Now streaming only on Hulu. Next up, let's go with Olivier Maxence Prosper. The hottest okay. thing out right now. Um, everybody is seeing him rise a lot. Apparently, he had a great combine. All of his workouts are really helping him rise. Um, he seems like a great interview. Listen to mm-hmm. again. Raphael Barlow posted a one-on-one that he had with Olivier Maxence Prosper where I mean, I just think that he sounds extremely mature. Guy speaks three different languages. Apparently, English is not his first language. He's extremely well-spoken in English. Um, Grew up in Montreal, Canada, which apparently the primary language there is French, which was news to me, not going to lie, but also speaks a good bit of Spanish in there as well. but as an NBA player, six six and a quarter without shoes. So you're talking about six eight here with a seven one wingspan. He will turn twenty one on July third, not too long after the draft. Um, he spent his freshman year. Is it Clemson? Am I remembering that right? Yes. Uh, I'll pull that me, up just to make sure, but I think so. Yeah, I'm, I'm pretty sure that's right. And then the last two years at Marquette, but his most yep. recent season. Okay, awesome. Uh, most recent season, junior year at Marquette, twelve point five points. 4.7 rebounds, 0.7 assists, um, along with 0.9 steals, 0.1 blocks, 1.4 turnovers on a 51.2% from the field, 33.9% from three on 3.2 a game. 
73.5% from the charity stripe on 4.2 a game. And we got to start with the defense, Bryant. Oh, yeah. That is everything with Omax, um, as a lot of people call him. I mean, when you're talking 6-8 in shoes with a 7-1 wingspan, guys guarding Cam Whitmore, who got in the process of watching these guys. I watch more Cam Whitmore, and I'm like, God, this guy's going to be so good. Um, he's guarding Cam Whitmore. He's guarding Colby yep. Jones. He's guarding um, some of the two prospects on UConn as well. Yep. Um, the versatility does pop here, um, but but how good of a defender do you feel like we're talking about with Omax here and just how versatile can he really be? Yeah, uh, I can't say that I really paid much attention to him before this big rise, but going back and watching those games, like you said, um, the the Xavier games when he was guarding Colby Jones, um, the the UConn game uh, in the conference tournament where he just shadowed the hell out of Jordan Hawkins, uh, who's this six five shooting guard who's who's pretty quick and was trying to use a lot of screens to get around him, and like Omax just stuck with him. Um, his ability to shadow guys, especially movement scorers and shooters, is really impressive for a player of his size. His perimeter defense, he's so dang tenacious. He's quicker than so many players at his size. And that combination with his length gives him real defensive range at the next level as he continues to fill out. Um, the the defense is there and the drive is there. I, I don't think that teams are overselling this guy's defensive range. Um, I don't know that he's quite as uh, controlled on defense uh, as some prospects that we've talked about over this process. Uh, our buddy Omar from Kings Herald put out on Twitter that uh, Omax plays defense like he's uh, one of those inflatable arm flailing tube men from uh, used car sales. And I just, I couldn't get that out of my damn head when I was watching Marquette games like this guy really is just he's he's going all over the court and it doesn't off always look like it should work but dang it does it definitely does and like this is the guy that when I mentioned earlier in the episode maybe one of these guys fits less into the safer category than some of the others I I do feel like Omax is is that one where he is a little bit more of a swing to me specifically oh, yeah. than the, than these other guys. Um, I grouped him in here because I feel like we needed to talk about Omax because well, his, defense, that, his defense seems pretty safe. Like, you know, you're getting a guy who's going to get the most out of his defense. I, I agree. Um, but there were more moments than I expected. Um, because same as you, not somebody that I was super educated on until everybody started talking about him rising up to this point. And specifically, by the way, he started going to Sacramento in a lot of mocks, like exactly to Sacramento. He he wasn't just jumping up boards and going to different teams. Um, It was Sacramento a lot. And now it's gone beyond that. There's a lot of uh, talk about Portland that has a couple of picks right before Sacramento, which, by the way, um, Portland having a couple of picks right before Sacramento when they need wings. Like, I'm absolutely prepared for Portland to take somebody that I think is going to be an a a great fit for Sacramento. And I'm like, Oh my God, he's right there. And then Portland's going to do it. Um, But Omax is, is one of those guys. And I think that when you see every mock that is somewhat Intel based uh, starting to take them that, you know, I, I start to get a little bit curious. Yeah. And 
Um, I was saying defensively that there are there were moments, more moments than I expected, where it was like, oh my god, you're totally out of control right now. Yeah, and I, I also want to say like, while his steal numbers are solid, like almost won a game, his block numbers aren't. Um, and we're talking yeah. about a guy who so often was shadowing perimeter players. So um wasn't like he could always just switch off a guy and get to the rim to protect the weak side. But like if you're factoring him in as this potential three, four role player who can guard wings and bigger forwards, I'll admit that I want to see how he handles bigger forwards, power forwards against bigger opponents and how he fights on the glass. My big question for him is his rebounding. Um, and again, he's running around as this perimeter defensive guy. Uh, so that takes him away from his basket. But like 4.7 rebounds per game, second on the team, but just 6.4 per 40 minutes, a total rebounding rate of 9.7%. That's not great for a guy that you're talking about as a power ring at the next level. Um, Marquette was not a good rebounding team overall, but it's it, it's you can dismiss it so much a little bit because of you know position role, but it it, it is concerning for a Sacramento team that's like, okay, let's go out there and get the six eight guy who can guard a bunch of guys and then be like, well, I mean, look at his rebounding numbers. Can you really just explain that all away? He was like one of the more difficult is one of the more difficult evals for me. Like there's definitely plenty of moments where you're just like, oh my God, he's exactly what Sacramento needs. A guy that can finish plays on offense, um where he's shooting you know, we mentioned the 33.9% from three, and that's still 33.6 on catch and shoot threes. The number's not great. 34.1%, yeah. 14 of 41 on unguarded catch and shoot threes. Um, and then 65.2% of the rim, a guy that you think can just finish plays, right? When he when he gets the yeah. ball either, that means he's he's trying to lay it up or, or dunk it, uh, making one more pass or shooting the open three, um, and then contribute on the defensive end. But I'm not gonna lie. There's a lot of me that's like, this could be a Robert Woodard, you know. And I, I love you know how much I loved Robert uh, Woodard, but like, hey, take a drink. Brendan mentioned Robert Woodard, right? <laughs> We're gonna get to Jemias Ramsey here in a little bit. <laughs> oh, um, take a drink. No, I, I mean, the the question for me, uh, and I agree with you here. My question for any team that's gonna snag him in the first round is, what is your plan for him in the half court offense, like? In transition, what can your plan be? Yeah, what can your plan be? It doesn't shoot. That in transition, high-paced offense, cleanup plays, cuts to the basket, like that's easy sell. You know this guy's going to go and, yeah. and and work for it. But if that his, shot his length tra- is his length is stupid. Like he yes. looks like Kavon Looney out there. He's huge. Yeah, and and he's a guy who's willing to do it. He he he's going to fight for everything. What if that shot doesn't transfer? What's his role in a set offense? because I'm not sold on his handle as a big time driver. Um, so if it, he, he, that shot has to come around, even if it does, like, am I trusting him to attack closeouts? Not, I'm not really like he had almost no dribble jumpers last year. Um, he really, really needs to prove that that shot is real. And we've heard a lot of people talking uh, uh, during the combine and uh, during workouts like, Hey, this shot looks real. I, I, there have been quite a few prospects over the years who got drafted very high because of workout 
shooting success that didn't become that level of shooter in the NBA. And while his defense, Lord knows, you and I want to love every single 3-4 <laughs> who plays defense. We want to want that. Yes. Omax would be good on this team for that reason and that reason alone. That shot needs to transfer. It absolutely does. No, I mean, listen, Casey Akpala is a damn good defender. Casey Akpala is a ridiculously good defender. Yeah. Like, I get that Mike Brown is just hyping up his guy when he talks about defensive player of the year type of potential, but Casey Akpala can defend the hell out of the ball. Yeah. Um, what he can't do is anything on offense. Yeah. And if Casey, if Omax Prosper can't hit a three yeah. at a decent level, I don't know that the defense matters. Like it's great. And it's a guy that you could use very situationally, but that has to be there. I I really am intrigued by Omax. There's a, again, a lot of moments where I'm like, man, if this guy can finish plays on offense, if he can pick his timings to cut, if he can hit open threes, and that's really all you're asking. Um, He says that, you know, there's more playmaking to his game than he got to show at Marquette that he was a, point guard previously i think this was like in high school that we were talking that he was talking about on that same rafael barlow interview um but it's a guy that's rising a lot like you said throughout the the not just combine process but workouts and that has to do with with good interviews um good feedback on just how he is as a person and also the three-point shot going down which is all stuff that like i can't really factor in to my evaluation so Personally, like Omax is somebody that doesn't really fit the safer label that was kind of the point of this episode, but felt like he needed to be talked about. Yeah. Um, He's absolutely going to be a guy who, who gets drafted around the Kings range. Um, and, and I think we'll be glad if he gets selected that we didn't just skip over him. And, and I would totally talk myself into it. Um, oh, yeah. I just have a, a lot of, I have a lot of skepticism. Yeah. I, I have a lot of worries. Yeah, um, I, I completely agree. And to me, talking about Casey Akpala, I, I, I think one hopes that he's a more effective offensive player than Casey Akpala. But at the same time, like, is he beating Kessler Edwards out for season one minutes? I don't know about that. I don't Which, either, like... Which isn't a bad thing because like anybody who gets drafted by Sacramento could absolutely spend time in Stockton, probably should spend a lot of time in Stockton. Um, but it, it, I'm going to have, uh, here's a spoiler. I'm going to have CD Sissoko ranked decently higher than Omax just because I, I trust more of what we've seen from CD in a half court offense. Damn it, Brian. So am I. Um, <laughs> I, I convinced I you. Think- I think there's both uh, there's risk involved with both of these prospects and the upside of CD is notably higher to yeah. me. I do want to uh, say our buddy, our buddy Nate Miller mentioned to me that, um, and you talked about how Omax said in his interviews that he, he's getting to show more handle, get, getting to show more passing instincts than he did uh, at Mark, if it at Marquette. Yeah. Um, Nate Miller mentioned to me that he used to play point guard. So maybe there is some latent playmaking that he didn't get to do because he wasn't an on-ball guy. But he's got to be better what, on the what, ball. What playmaking could we be even be talking about here, Brian? Yeah. Like, it sounds great, you know, but yeah. what, what, is, what, what, role, 
what right. role is that leading to? Right. What, what ball handling responsibilities are you giving to this guy? Uh, I don't know. With 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 CD, there's proof of concept. With Omax, it's it's uh, trust. It's trust in the player, and maybe the player convinces guys through the interviews and the workout process that this is a guy you want to gamble on. Um, if he's the pick at 24, I'm not complaining whatsoever. No. This is the kind of guy that we have been begging the Sacramento Kings to draft for years. Um, I, I, I'm just kind of surprised at the meteoric rise based on what we've seen. Like we're t- People are now having him in the teens in mocks. Yeah, it, it's got to be one of those, what you just mentioned, like this is a guy that you want to bet on just from yeah. being around him, talking to him. Um, yeah, I mean, I would absolutely understand it for Sacramento 24, and I don't want to come off as as down on Omax. It's just more so um, I, I see where the excitement comes from, but I think there's a lot of risk involved here. And yeah. I, I think that that's just important to, to acknowledge. Um, any final things on, which by the way, you mentioned Stockton made me realize that I was going to start by talking about um, Lindsey Harding and Anjali, but now's not the time. Maybe we say that either for the end or some other time, but anyways. Um, uh, my last is, thing on him is Omax is the coolest nickname in this class. It's pretty that's, badass. That's a badass nickname. And it's, it's good because strong. for some reason, I'm staring at his name right now, and I'm going to say it, and I'm going to stumble over it. Olivier? Livier Maxence Prosper. I don't know why that's hard for me to say. <laughs> oh, Max it, is so much easier. I it don't want to. I don't want to be poor Scott Moke having to say that next year. And time. I got I got super reeled in by that interview I mentioned a couple times. That like Raphael Barlow interview. I mean, it was just somebody that was like, man, I would just love to get to talk to this guy. Like, I think he's super well spoken, and that goes a long way. If if you're um, personality character is shining in these interviews. And I think that um, the impression I've got is that that's at least played a part in, in this. Yeah. There is something to be said at the end of the day, you're not drafting, you're not drafting a a basketball player. You're drafting a a person who is on and off the court. And I'm sure that workouts and interviews play a much bigger factor than anybody who's just sitting on this side of the screen can articulate. And Marquette outperformed their expectations as a team a lot this year. And um, sounds like Omax is getting some of the credit for that. Maybe not, definitely not fully, um, but, but played a part in that process. And the final guy we got on this list who I got to tell you, Brian, like I, fucking love trace jackson davis i I could watch this guy play basketball all day long um indiana big man measured in at the combine six eight and a quarter without shoes with a seven one wingspan um 23 years old but his senior year at indiana 20.9 points 10.8 rebounds four assists 0.8 steals 2.9 blocks with two point people try to undersell that god 2.9 2.9. 2.9. God, the Kings might have had less than 2.9 blocks as a team all year. Um, <laughs> 58.1% from the field uh, does not shoot threes, but 69.5% from the free throw line on 6.6 a game. Um, 
Bryant, this guy kicked ass in college basketball. Oh, He's yeah. flirting with many records if he doesn't own them for Indiana basketball, which is extremely historic when it comes to the guys that have gone through there and obviously spent all four years when you're talking total numbers. Um, that plays a factor, but ridiculously efficient. Um, Improved every year. He he does. He's great in drop coverage on defense. The rim protection's good. He can switch. He doesn't have the typical size. I, I guess for anybody that hasn't seen him, we're like this is a big that yeah. we're talking about. Um, he's a guy not that talking about a way. setting screens. No, he, he's his dribble handoffs. Um, this is somebody finishing around the rim. A lot of post ups within within their offense, which I do not think will be NBA offense, yeah. obviously. Um, but but. He's he's got a great tool set for driving, handling as yep. a big man. Like um everything. His role at the next level is going to be less defined than it was in Indiana, but he is such a smart, high instinct player who did so many things well in college. I just completely refuse to believe that this guy can't find a really, really good niche at the next level. Um, I mean, strong pick and roll, rim running big man, vertical spacing, create speed based mismatches, excel in the transition. Everything that they asked Matthew to do last year, Jackson Davis can do, and much more. He is letting you play the exact same style where, you know, the coaching staff talked about, well, when we go to our bench big, when Domas is sitting, if that is Alex Len or say it's Namias Keita next year, that, well, then we don't have to do DHOs. We can still run the same offense. It just doesn't have to be dribble handoffs. Instead, it will just be screens with the ball handler um, navigating those. Trey Jackson Davis, like, just keep the DHOs. This guy yeah. can pass the hell out of the ball. He's somebody that, yeah. when he's getting boards, he's taking it down himself. And I can't remember the last big that I've looked at and seen him do so many jump passes. Where it's, and you know, some coaches will roll their eyes, jump passes. And I think that at times that can definitely get him into trouble. But like, he is a great athlete for the size that he is. And his decision making is so fast to pair with yeah. it. I'm trying to think of other big men playmakers who are better, who have been better coming out of college. Paula Bancaro, for sure. God, I'm really struggling. So hot. Yeah, he was a little different. He didn't have the yeah. offensive responsibility that Trace Jackson Davis did. And you know what's so funny? Indiana, uh, two seasons ago, so we're not, we're talking about his junior year, not this last year. Their season ended by getting just spanked in the first round by St. Mary's. Just absolutely demolished. <laughs> I love that you had to throw that in there. Demolished. And I watched Trace Jackson Davis, and I was like, they've been hyping this guy up as like, uh, the, the elite Big Ten big man, and he was not efficient in that game. Then he comes back this year. Everything you want from this guy is super efficient, and that playmaking just took a huge spike. It, I, I, you cannot undersell how impressive his continued improvement is from a guy who isn't just skill based. Like six nine, he's not the biggest guy in the world, but man, does he move well. Man, is he an explosive athlete. It, it the the entire package is very impressive. It, it's it's everything. Like he he does everything. He's the almost pro- almost. You're you're right. He does not shoot threes. Yeah, and he does. He's not big enough to defend the 
big post-up bigs in the NBA. These are the two things that, in my opinion, is like holding him back from being a top 20 guy. Like this guy, Mm -hmm. I think this guy's a starting center in the NBA for a long time. Um, Wow. Good one. I'm not saying like there's calibers of starting NBA centers. I don't think we're talking about all-star here, but like I think that he is a passable starting center for a long time. Um, The three-point shooting is just non-existent at all. I mean, when you when you talk about any sort of jumpers, there was like a game I watched. I think one of the first games I watched where he shot a couple of mid-range um, looks, and I was like, oh, maybe there's a little bit of a mid-range game here. No, it does not happen at all. Three I, I just happened to watch the outlier. Three of 14 on the season for mid-range. Yeah, not happening at all. Um, but great at setting screens. And making decisions in the short roll when when you get that pass right after being the screener. And it, it's not just making the pass right away. It's if I need a little bit more time to make my decision, I'm going to take a dribble and then look around. Like His patience when playmaking I thought was really impressive as well. Um, his finishing around the rim is great, that 58% from the field. And again, this is somebody we're talking about being 23 Obviously, he had an age advantage and experience advantage on a lot of his competition at the college yeah. level that played a factor here. Um, and, and you well, saw him get notably better throughout his time yeah. in Indiana, and, as as you pointed out. And most importantly, we're not talking about a guy who's so skill-based that he's going to come in and be an athletic mismatch in the NBA level. Like He is an NBA athlete. He's not the tallest guy, but he's got the, the physical tool set. He, he gets off the ground so fast. It doesn't look like he's getting up like crazy or anything, but it's one of those like after he takes off and then you see him where he ends up and it's like, I just did not think he was going to reach that point, but it it happens fast. Um, He's got a solid first step. There's a couple of times where he sort of puts the ball on the floor and then tries to attack the basket. I don't think that's anything he's doing at the NBA, Um, but I I think his finishing around the basket's really intriguing that he's a guy that, if he sees an opportunity, he will throw it down on, on somebody. And I think all that complimentary stuff offensively paired with, again, 2.9 blocks a game. And this is a guy that we're talking about. He shot 64.6% at the rim. His opponent shot 47.6% at the rim. Um, he, in drop coverage, does a great job of containing the guard while also still um, maintaining awareness of the guard of the big man and not letting him get behind him. His switchability, I think, is intriguing there. Uh, I'm I'm all about it. God, uh, you, Brian, if, you if know they what didn't I just have, done? If they didn't have Sabonis, I would like. I love Trace Jackson Davis. Uh, I just did something historic. Um, maybe maybe it's because. I've been having a little bourbon while we're doing this podcast. I just snuck into uh, the King's Herald WordPress and and moved Trace Jackson Davis on my big board. Wow. That's coming out tomorrow. <laughs> it's like I can't I can't stop undersell overselling this guy underselling this guy. Um, the the question, and I had a good discussion with um, Jerry Reynolds on the King's Herald show about this. Is you, we are talking about a six nine guy, and like we said. He's not going to be able to go back to the the low post bang him up offense that was like I think it was thirty seven percent of his shots 
uh, last season came in post up plays. That's not happening in the NBA. Oh, they they posted him up all the time. Yeah, um, and a six nine guy who isn't going to beat you with size and isn't going to beat you with shots, with with deep shots. Like the the value in a center backup center. I think he's a small ball five, ideally coming off the bench. Is that worth a first rounder? And I just, you keep coming back to, this is such a high instinct player who does so many other things well. And if, if the shot is real at all, everybody's going to be like, why the heck did this guy last into the twenties, let alone 24. Is there talk around the shot being real? There was, he shot well enough at the combine that people were like, Oh, is this real? But then I went back to, um, there was, uh, uh, some hype film that came out last summer where it was like, Oh, look, he's shooting threes in, in, Oh, on one drills. Maybe he's going to add that to this game and some combination of either. He just can't do that in a real game or Indiana just told him, no, don't shoot. Uh, some combination of that means that we have to approach his selection like he's not going to be a shooter but he's going to figure out some role in the offense at the next level and man if if he's the guy coming off the bench behind Sabonis the Kings offense and their rim protection as a weak side on the weak side uh cleanup guy could swap down onto some forwards I think um just go back to that uh Iowa game he handled Chris Murray quite a few times it's 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 very impressive for a a twenty three year old who we're talking about at the back half of the first. I think defensively, there's maybe something to playing with some bonus, but offensively, no. I, like I just don't even think there's a chance. I don't think there's yeah. any world where this is a guy you're talking about playing next to Sabonis. Um, and that's kind of where everything falls apart at twenty four, in my mind. Um, is that you know I would prefer you spend your first round pick on maybe just a spot that you have more of a positional need. Um, and again, while I said, I think TJD is going to be a long time, like starter in the league. Um, if you look at average starting centers contractually and like their number value is, is not that high. So I get him being a little bit lower. Um, I think that, He's a guy that just does all the complimentary things right. I think his his fit within the flow of the offense is as long as you have other guys that can finish plays, he can make life a whole lot easier for the guys around him. Yep. And if you put him in the right spots, um, if he catches with an opportunity to finish a play, I think he's going to be able to do it as long as we're not talking about a jumper. And the whole being 6'9 and in the post defense, I think being a concern like – how many teams are you really running into that issue with? Like you're playing Joel Embiid, obviously. Joker, um, Giannis. Joker, Giannis, sure. Um, Lopez. Lopez, I get. Yeah, I guess he's. Yeah, but like Randall. I'm sure there's more, but like it. It's, it's not, not that. Often. It's not that often. It really isn't. And again, for Sacramento, we're not talking about a starter. Um, we're no. talking, we're talking about, unless the shot just hits out of the park, which I'm not betting on again, we're talking about a small ball five who I think absolutely would be super valuable on the bench. Like if you could solve the Kings 
bench big issues with this first-round pick, that's what I keep coming back to. He's the pick at 24. I'm not stressing about it whatsoever. I, I don't even, If he's the highest on their big board, don't try to wait for 38. He's, he's solving your bench issues, getting the perfect guy behind Sabonis, adding another level to your offense off the bench, absolutely worth it to me. But I get if you disagree. At 24? I mean, like, I don't know. Um, there, I just keep coming back to there are so many ways that the Kings could go at 24, and I'll be able to see the case for so many of them, even if it wouldn't wasn't what I would have done. They have a lot of options. I absolutely come back to that as well. Um, that there's probably going to be, you know, eight, ten different people that I would feel pretty solid about. Um, if if Sacramento ended up, ended up taking, I'm trying to look at some of these on off numbers with um, Domas on compared to off, their offense rating with him off the floor was apparently one eighteen point eight, and I'm sorry, I'm looking at playoff numbers. Let me switch this back to regular season. As this finishes loading real quick, okay, with Demontis bonus on the floor, we're talking about an offensive rating of one twenty. Point seven, um, with him off the floor, team worst one eleven point five, um, and then that defensive rating that you're talking about one sixteen point eight with Demontis Bonus on the floor, with him off the floor, it is better, notably at one ten point two. But Sacramento is a team that needs to get better on the defensive end, but you find your success on the offense, and that's where you're winning games. You have to do enough defensively, but I'm a firm believer and don't get so caught up trying to fix your defensive weaknesses that you are hurting your offensive strength in the process. You at very least need to make sure you maintain that strength and your offense was at its worst when DeMontis bonus was off the floor. Um, Trace Jackson Davis would very, very much help that. Um, I'm torn at 24 though. Um, I get it. I, 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 the point I made earlier. I, I just think there's going to be other guys that I would prefer. If Omax is there, if CD's there, that's, that's easy for me. If Chris is there, if Chris going, is there, yes. I just moved. I'm, I don't want to say like I have Trish Jackson and Davis is 24 now. I've I moved him up to 27. So it's not like he's going to be my pick, but if he is their selection, it will be very easy to make the case for him. If he's there at 39, I'm going to be like screaming from the rafters. Oh my God. Get him. Um, I would love to just not have to, when Sabonis goes to the bench, be like, okay, how are they going to try to figure this out this time? Yeah. Because it was searching for different answers often. And I get you're talking about 15 minutes a night, 13 minutes a night. Um, you're not just talking about that though. You're talking about the ability to continue your offense. If Sabonis, you know, not, not, not that the offense wouldn't struggle if DeMontis Sabonis got injured, but if he got injured, it would be really nice to have a playmaking big man who could slide in, whether it's a starter or not, just play more minutes. Yeah. And again, I don't think he ever plays alongside Domas, but like, this is a guy that is would for sure contribute, um, as your backup five. And I think there's a lot of value there. And maybe yeah. how you feel about Nimi 
plays a factor here. Um, yeah. It is not for myself, but maybe it does for them, depending on... I mean, I think it only would, obviously, if they were pretty high on Nimi's potential impact going into next year. Do you want to rate these four guys... Um, let, let, let's do that, if that's yeah. good with you. Let's let's rate these four guys for Sacramento. Yeah, for me, it's Chris. Chris at the top. Wow. Omax yeah. at number two. And I could really understand the case for either order of Colby Jones or Trace Jackson Davis. My swap just now was to put Trace Jackson Davis over Colby Jones on my big board. So I've got uh, Chris, um, Omax, Trace Jackson Davis, Colby Jones. Yeah, I kind of thought you might have Omax first, but I did the same, actually. Um, I did Chris Murray just because I think it is I think it's the safer of the two options. I think it's somebody that you know is going to fill a role that you need to be filled and um, just contribute at a solid level. I don't know that there's yeah. more upside there like there is with Omax. Um, I, I think that those guys are in a similar tier for me, but I would go with the safer option personally between the two. So I have Chris and then Omax. Um, and then I have Kobe and then Trace Jackson Davis. If I'm talking an overall big board, I'm definitely putting Trace Jackson Davis ahead of Colby Jones. But I think for Sacramento's perspective that there's more value in a guy that can play with De'Aaron and Domas compared to a guy that can't. Yeah, is really kind of what it comes down to. Yeah, and I understand that argument. Um, it, it, it the size of Trace Jackson Davis is kind of what gives it to me. Is it, you're both you're gambling on both of these guys as uh, high value bench players, and to me, Trace Jackson, what Trace Jackson Davis does at six nine is harder to find off the bench than what Colby Jones does at six six. I agree. Um, well, Brian, I think this this is definitely going to be our last episode before the day of the draft. So I want to ask you, is there any guys that the guys we mentioned in our previous episode, Blah Koulibaly, Dariq Whitehead, C.D. Sissoko, Max Lewis, Julian Phillips. Um, what guys do you feel like that we didn't cover um, deserve at least a quick mention for possible consideration at, at 24, or maybe if you want to talk about some guys that you could see at 38. Oh, possible consideration at 24. Again, that's just so many guys. Like, um, Jet there's Howard. A, from, there's sorry. a lot that I'm like, fuck, like, damn, maybe we should have talked about this guy at some yeah. point. We're gonna we're gonna look silly when Jet Howard goes at 24 and right. we can talk about him. Ray and Rapper. Yeah, like, yeah. Yeah. I, 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 yeah, I, I, Brandon Pajemski, uh, Jamie Jacquez. Uh, you know, I'm going to keep making this joke and it's going to happen. Marcus Sasser is one of the best point guards in this class and, uh, Monty McNair loves point guards. So just fit those pieces together. Um, the Kings could do so many things. The Kings could take somebody that we haven't even really thought about. Tristan Vucevic. Who knows? It they could they could swing in so many different ways. The only thing I'm going to be surprised about on draft day is if I'm not surprised. <laughs> that is a that is a good way to put it. I think the two guys that stand out to me um, are Brandon Pizemski. Um His feel for the game is ridiculous. Yeah, his his passing, his shooting, like he's somebody that I think offensively would just be somebody you'd love to watch a great connecting piece um, defense and, a lot of question marks. 
you can just carbon copy everything that you run for Kevin Herter and just slide Pajemski in to do that. And he's a good playmaker. His playmaking is like stupid. It, there, there's a lot of times where I'm like, he, he's throwing crazy passes. Um, yeah. And 6'5 guard led the WCC in rebounds last year. Just yeah. absolutely mind-boggling. Andre Jackson Jr. is somebody that seems to be um, pretty polarizing. Mm-hmm. And maybe... Great connector piece. Mm-hmm. Good defender, great connector piece. Can I talk you into rating all nine of these guys together that we've talked about? Uh, you want to you know, just see my big board early? Um, I don't know if you don't mind sharing. <laughs> yeah. Um, I'm going to have Bilal Koulibaly at 13th overall on my big board. Um, he's the riskiest given his draft stock, but like the upside swing is small forward. Like that. It's just n- no doubt there. Um, I mean, and, and, and he's already a guy that like, I think is a higher floor than um, what typically an upside swing would be. I think you've seen what his role would be on yeah. a like actual contributor since he's played with Wemby in the main club. Yeah, his role is going to be obvious going into the NBA. Um, I'm going to have C.D. Sissoko at number 18. Uh, I just love his defensive upside. And to me, I, I, I worry about his shot. But I trust the human being at the end of the day. And I think that his playmaking is going to help him more than some of these other questionable shot guys find a role in a half-court offense. Um, so... After okay, um, remind me the the other five. We it was uh it was CD above Dariq last time we yep. spoke, right? And Dariq's Dariq's at nineteen on my big board right, right after. after CD. I go back and forth with those two a lot, to be honest. Um, they're similar upside swings with a lot more. I was going to say a lot more risk surrounding Dariq, but like that's not really true because if CD this similarly with what we've seen play out with Isaac Okoro is that all these other skills are great, but if you can't hit the shot, the other skills don't really matter. Yeah. Uh, uh, yeah I totally understand anybody having CD Sissoko much lower than I do. It's a gamble. And with Dariq Whitehead, you know what you're getting. Everything else that's built on his shooting is just is, is, is icing on the cake, honestly. I think I, I have to rehire. Um, I am not doing this big board. I commend you for doing so. Um, I, you know, stress today leading into this and tomorrow and day after leading into the draft, I'm sure I'll do the same of like not being able to cement in really my thoughts here. Um, but I went with Bilal um, and then Dariq and then CD. And then after that, I have Chris Murray. Me too. Um, Chris Murray's at 20 right behind uh, Dariq. He's just the safest guy here, man. If if yeah. Chris is there at 22, like I'd have a really hard time not going in that direction. Um, it's basic, but I do think you already have a decent idea of the type of person that you are getting um, and just everything that he does at his size is exactly in my mind what Sacramento needs. But I would have all of really CD, Chris, and Omax in a very similar tier. Um, yeah. Those are all three guys that I would yep. be extremely happy with on draft night. You're just reading and, off my big board right now. 
I talk myself into them all for for different reasons. They all have some notable variance between them, um, with Chris easily being the safest, Omax being the totally committing to we need three, four wing forward defense, um, and then play finishers and CDs, like a just guy that can do a little bit of everything, really. Um, but all three of those guys, I mean, that is the order I have is CD, Sissoko, Chris Murray, Omax, Prosper. But yep. that feels like, you know, three guys that I, I would be really, really happy with on draft night. And there's a decent chance that one of them is available. Yeah, I agree. After that, um, Max Lewis for myself. I'll have no, I have no clowning decently higher than Max Lewis. Okay, I, I I will say I don't think I included Clowney on this list because we didn't talk about him last. Oh time yeah, we around. didn't talk about him last time, did we? Well, okay. Um, if we're just talking about that board, um, I go CD, Derek, Chris Murray, O Max, then Max Lewis, um, then Colby Jones. Oh no, sorry, then Trace Jackson Davis, and then Colby Jones. Yeah, and then Julian Phillips. After all of them, I take it right. Yep. yep. I um, am the same. I, I, I do have, um, yeah, Koulibaly, Whitehead, Sissoko, Murray, Omax, Max Lewis, Colby Jones, Trey Saxon Davis, Julian Phillips. Um, I pretty easily prefer Max Lewis over Colby Jones as much as I really like Colby yeah. Jones. Um, I think positionally, and Max Lewis is one of those guys that I am really struggling to have strong feelings on how I feel about um, the offensive creations ridiculous. We've, we've covered him plenty, um, but there's defensive questions. I, I think there's discipline questions when it comes to what can you do consistently? Um, but that's where I'm at. I, I think that Bilal and Derek are, are dreams. Swordhead Whitehead being the more reasonable dream for sure. Um, CD Chris Murray um, Chris Murray, I also expect to go higher than CD on, on draft night. He's for going to go higher. Yes. I promise you. Um, and But if CD or Omax is there, I'd, I'd be extremely happy. Max Lewis, Colby Jones, Trace Jackson Davis, I'd all talk myself into. Um, Julian Phillips, more of somebody I, I'd kind of talk about at 38. Although there's there's parts of me that I'm like, oh, is there that much of a difference between Omax and Julian Phillips? Like There is differences, but some there's, of that is also some of that is experience. Some of that's just experience. Right. Yeah. So yeah, that's um I think what I got here, Brian. You got any any sort of final thoughts as the draft is right around the corner here? Just go into the draft and this is the draft of Zen. I I I Monty McNair has earned trust from me and from this King's fandom. Um I may not fully agree with his selection on draft night, but it will take a lot for this organization to do anything that upsets me. There are a lot of talented players in this draft. There are going to be a ton of talented players in the Kings range. And uh, if they pick at 24, assuming they don't suddenly trade it, I think that they'll almost certainly come out of here with somebody who, who is an understandable selection and will probably uh have a real shot to impact this team moving forward. I think the same. And I just add, um, it's pick 24. 
Yep. Like have reasonable expectations. Um, and this is not directed at you, but just more so towards listeners and fans in general. Yep. Um, it's easy to get excited about the pick that Sacramento takes. Um, I mean, I would know as with my uh, Jemias Ramsey cardboard <laughs> cutout sitting at home. I will always remember after that draft, you were like, the Kings just got three guys I had in the first round. Dude, I was it, it was just shocking to me because that was the most like extensive draft research I'd done. Um, and I think that was with Rich. We'd gone through everybody, and it was just three players that we loved. There's probably, you know, five, six, seven maybe in the draft, and he, they picked three of them, and I was just shocked. Um, but anyways, it's easy to get yourself excited. But understand, if somebody is able to play um, – Kessler Edwards minutes year one at pick 24 that that's a success yes the goal of picking somebody in the 20s should be to get an NBA player it should not be to expect to find a star agreed and there's going to be some good options Um, there seems to be a very wide range from checking various experts uh, big boards and mock drafts of guys that could potentially be considered here and there's going to be some shocking things surely that happen draft night. And maybe that means OG and OB ending up in a Kings uh, within being a member of the Kings. I was trying to think of the best way to say that. I was going to say in a Kings Jersey, but nobody's playing shit right now. So that's all I got here. Um, I think Bryant, your big board is going to be out. I would take it sometime tomorrow. Yeah. And people should obviously take a look at that. Um, how was this process final closing question for you? How different was this process for you when we're talking about a guy at 24 compared to lottery? Uh, definitely meant looking at a lot more guys. Um, there, there definitely such a wider range was both a blessing because it was not trying to find a savior. It was, it was more relaxing. It wasn't overly stressing about the weaknesses because we were talking about a guy who needed to start. We're talking about a guy who's, it most likely just going to be a role player. So that was nice. Uh, but <laughs> so many more players than I'm used to having to do like full deep dives. Like I always did try to watch games of players all the way to the thirties, but now it means so much more. So it definitely does. Um, I did not feel like I was as, um, deeply educated on some of these guys because it was a wider net that we needed to cast sort of researching some of these 24 guys. So I will admit that whoever they end up taking is who I will uh, put my focus on and then go back and watch a bunch of the film after the fact and get a better idea. So um, anything I'm kind of spitting out here, I I definitely have watched games of these guys, but not to the same extent when we're talking about when we're having a you know, Keegan Murray, Jaden Ivey conversation, obviously, um, nope, which I think is understandable. No, um, but it's the luxury of Sacramento being a decent team now. And you're looking for all players is kind of going to be the reality moving forward, ideally. But we will see um, draft right around the corner Thursday, the 22nd. Um, thank you, Bryant, for for hopping on the show and, and all the great work that you do for the Kings Herald and every draft cycle. Do you have a favorite? Um, and I don't expect you to say this podcast at all. This is not a setup here. Um, do you have a favorite? You, you've gone on a lot of things 
recently okay. and, and you do this every draft cycle, but do you have a favorite show or appearance that you made throughout this draft cycle? Don't uh, say here. Uh, I really do not mean you for that. <laughs> yeah. uh, nobody beats talking to Jerry Reynolds. Um, Fair. Yeah. You, you know, you know where my loyalties always lie. You know that. I don't have to lie. <laughs> it, it does not oh. get better than talking to Jerry Reynolds. That is, yes, yes very understandable answer. Um, but thank you to everybody li- that listened throughout this draft process. Um, and hopefully Sacramento ends up taking somebody that listeners enjoy and i'm sure will eventually talk themselves into just fine um but stay tuned here and at the king's herald for coverage on who they end up selecting and take a look at the king's herald patreon to support local independent king's coverage and if you enjoyed this episode of the king's post podcast please subscribe rate and review and you'll hear from me again next couple days